friends, thank you so much for joining us as you do on Sunday mornings. We're blessed to have you with us. And certainly as I look at the smiling, beautiful faces in this audience this morning, we're so blessed to have you in the house of the Lord with us on this Sunday morning. We're continuing in our Sermon on the Mount series, The Upside Down Kingdom. And today's message is entitled, Christians Turn the Other Cheek. I wish I could just pronounce the benediction, because that does not sound like an appealing topic, does it? We don't like the idea of turning the other cheek, yet that is what Jesus commanded us to do, did he not? So our text is Matthew 5, beginning in verse 38, and we want to read God's word together through verse 42. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you. And do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. So Holy Spirit, we ask you this morning, in your faithfulness, as our hearts are open to receive the engrafted word, that it would truly enter into us, transforming our very DNA, that we would become more like you. Let your word run swiftly and be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Well, for those of you who have been with us over these past weeks, we are now into this fifth illustration in chapter 5 where Jesus is showing us yet once again that if we are going to be kingdom disciples, then our righteousness must, not can or should, but it must, exceed the righteousness of the most righteous people of his day, the most holy people of his day, the most religious people of his day, the people who are always in church, the people who are always reading their Bible. Jesus comes on the scene and says, your righteousness must exceed the requirements of what you understand the Old Testament law to be, and for good reason. For Jesus says in verse 20, For unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you can never enter into the kingdom of heaven. I don't know about you. I want to be in that kingdom. How are we ever going to get into heaven without being into the kingdom? Some people are waiting to get to heaven, but the path to heaven is living in the kingdom today under the King Jesus, under His Lordship, under His authority, submitted to His will and to His way. So Jesus begins each of these six sections, and today we're in the fifth with these same words, you have heard it said. What is he doing? He's referencing the Old Testament scripture that was either quoted by the scribes and Pharisees 
or most likely misquoted by them, and he responds with these words. This is what you've heard, but I say unto you. Oh, how we need to hear the voice of Jesus. Oh, how we need to hear what the Spirit of God is saying through the Word. And not what our tradition has told us. And not maybe what Grandpappy used to tell us because he had a certain slant on the Word of God. Is it what Jesus? Is it in alignment with what the Spirit of God is saying throughout the Scriptures? And so Jesus says, but I say unto you, and Jesus does what he always does best. When he speaks, he sets the record straight. And he challenges us as to the true meaning of what God intended in those words that we become so familiar with, that they become almost cliche-ish. And not understanding them in the way that the religious leaders twisted them so that they could suit what they wanted them to mean. And so this morning we're coming to this passage of scripture that is perhaps one of the most misunderstood in the entire Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus opens with these words that we read in verse 38. Words that we're so familiar with. Words that we hear often quoted. They were originally spoken by Moses, and they were recorded in Exodus 21. Eye for an eye, and tooth for tooth. And that's usually where we stop, but did you know when Moses spoke these words by inspiration of the Spirit, that verse continues, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. Well, this morning we want to understand the intention of what was meant by those words that were given by Moses. But before we delve into the real and right interpretation of those words that we're so familiar with, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, we want to first fix our attention on understanding how and why this verse of scripture has become so misunderstood, so misinterpreted, and so misapplied. So to do this, let's look at that verse in Exodus 23, but let's jump up to the beginning of the chapter in verse one, where Moses says, now these are the rules that you shall set before them. Do we hear what Moses is saying? This was not so much an admonition for all of the people. It was for the leaders of the children of Israel who were in a position of judging when there were problems, when there were wrongdoings, that they could equitably judge every situation based on the circumstances. And Moses then says these words as a precedent as a guide for Israel's magistrates in cases where there were civil disputes. They were served as a guide in how they were to sentence an offender, to sentence them with a penalty that was consistent with the crime. If an eye, then an eye. If a tooth, then a tooth. But what happened? 
Over time, the religious leaders hijacked this principle in God's word, this principle that was reserved for the judges of Israel. And they taught that it was actually a standard that I embrace so that when there is a wrong that is done against me, this is how I am to adjudicate. So if something happens and some wrong is done against you, you then take on the idea and the belief that it's lawful now for me to retaliate. It's lawful for me now to seek for retribution. For after all, did not Moses say, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth? Now let's be honest, isn't that how we have always understood that verse of scripture? Every time something is wrong, well, an eye for an eye, and I'm gonna get, I'm gonna get my just due here. But that was never the intention of this injunction. In fact, it was given as a deterrent. Because human nature is always uh, prone to go further than it needs to go. So there is the slightest little infraction that comes against us. And what do we want? We want a pound of flesh. But the equity in God's word is an eye for an eye. Not an eye for a tooth, a leg, an arm, and a head. We absolutely want to decimate those who commit any crimes against us and get all we could get. And so Moses says, these are the roles that are set before you. And they're a deterrent because when people know that there is going to be punishment and penalty for a crime that is done, then they're less likely to commit it. Isn't that true? Sadly, I know in America something wild has been going on with these leftist liberal legislators who are doing away with the idea we can't punish criminals. And when they can commit a crime, don't set bail, just let them go so they can go out and commit another crime. And that's exactly what has been happening in America, and it's really sad, it's a crime. But the reality is, the standard of God's word is, if you do the crime, you are going to serve the time. And an eye for an eye. There is judgment for sin and criminality. But this passage has been grossly misinterpreted and misconstrued, misconstrued and misunderstood, even by the world at large, as I said, because most of us have always thought, this justifies me seeking for retaliation. This justifies me finding retribution. How am I going to get even? And how are they going to come back? Even great leaders like Gandhi did not understand for he said, an eye for an eye makes the whole world blind. Why would he say something like that? He believed that if this principle was put into practice, there would be unending violence. Because everyone would be seeking their just due. He clearly did not understand. We also know these words of Jesus are those go-to words for all of those conscientious objectors who say, I'll never serve in a war because I don't believe in killing anyone. But Jesus wasn't giving justification to pacifists 
And this verse of scripture does not justify their position at all. In fact, any literal understanding of this passage of scripture, beginning with where we began reading in our text this morning to its end, if we take it only at face value and literally, then we would understand and believe that as a kingdom Christian, I just need to be passive. Every time there's mistreatment, I just need to lie down, let people walk all over me, take advantage of me. That is not at all what Jesus is saying here. And as we look into God's word, I pray that the Holy Spirit will help us understand the principles that Jesus is communicating to those of us who really want to be kingdom Christians. That we will align our lives our practices, our attitudes, our actions and reactions with what Jesus taught us in his word. So having said all of that as a background for today's message, we want to know exactly what Jesus meant when he said these words to us. And I think the key to understanding is as we've been saying every week, what was Jesus doing? He was saying, you're observing the letter of the law. But God is looking into your hearts. That is where sin always begins. We've heard that adage so often, haven't we? For at the heart of every sin problem is a problem with the heart. So as we look deep into our hearts, so that's the problem. We've, we've isolated our hearts. And we, we're only thinking here and we're thinking with the letter of the law. Oh, I'm, I'm obedient to God because I go to church every Sunday. Oh, I, I'm obedient to God because I read my three chapters every day. Oh, I'm obedient to God because I pay my tithe. And yet we have allowed to fester in our hearts sin that is so grievous to the Holy Spirit and so inconsistent with what Jesus taught us, the life that we are to live. So he challenges us to do something that is difficult in this passage of scriptures we're going to see. And that challenge is that we forfeit our rights. Now that's a tall order in the day and age in which we're living. Because there's a new philosophy in America today and it's one of entitlement. I'm entitled. In fact, how many people did not want to go back to work after COVID settled down and businesses reopened, why should I go back to work? The, the government is giving me all of this money and I'm making more money through the government than going back to work. I know it sounds logical and it sounds rational, but that's an entitlement mentality that is not consistent with the word of God, I'm sorry. Not, I'm not apologizing because I'm not apologizing for the word of God. I'm apologizing if I've offended you, but my job is to preach the truth of God's word. Amen. This mentality of entitlement is ruining our country. We, we've come such a long ways from the days of John Fitzgerald Kennedy when he said those famous words, ask not what your country can do for you, but ask what you can do for your country. America would be a much better place today if all of us as Americans would say, what can I contribute to society? What good can I bring? What blessing can I convey? 
But that's another story for another time. The fact of the matter is, as selfish human beings, we're so tenacious in laying claim to our rights. And in this passage, Jesus gives us four examples of how we're being challenged to forfeit our fundamental rights. Rights that we cling to. Rights that we're not willing to forfeit. But we want to look again this morning. And as I have, I ask and pray that you as well would say, Lord, look deep into my heart today. Do I have the mind of Christ on this matter? So let's read again verses 38 and 39. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the others, the other also. Now we need to understand in the Mideast culture and in Jesus' day, a slap in the face was considered the most serious and greatest insult that could ever be given to a person. And by the way, Jesus, in using this example, is not speaking about a literal slap in the face. He's speaking about when offenses come our way. When someone offends us, they insult us, they hurt our feelings, they do something that grieves us. It's wrong to interpret it to believe that Jesus would ever think that we can never defend ourselves when we are wrongfully mistreated. Now understand, there, there needs to be clarity here. And Jesus certainly is our example. But what did he say here? Turn the other cheek. Do you think that if someone came up to you with a baseball bat and hit you on the right cheek that you're supposed to turn and say, okay, do this side? I mean, it's just ludicrous to believe that this could be taken or should be taken literally. What Jesus is seeking to teach us, that in life when offense comes, we should not seek for retaliation. Even though, admittedly, that is our human, natural uh, uh, inclination. That's just, we're, we're wired that way. That's why we need to be rewired. That's why we need the Holy Spirit to come in and rewire us and change our DNA from a sinful nature to God's nature, to a nature that reflects the likeness of Jesus Christ. So Jesus is exaggerating something to drive home this important truth. Don't act and react like the world in situations and seek for vindication. Leave that to God. Yeah, you say, I have a right, but I have a right. If you're going to be a kingdom disciple. Now, now we get to understand what Jesus meant when he said, straight is the gate, narrow is the way that leads to life. And few there be that find it. The largest majority of Christians will never buy the sermon that I'm preaching this morning. Because they want to go the easy way. The easy way is do it my way. The easy way is let me get my pound of flesh and I'll feel better about it. The easy way is to satisfy my carnal nature. But God's way is a way of death. Die to myself. Die to my feelings. Die to my emotions. Die to my will. Die to my want. But in that dying, 
John 12, 24, that grain that falls into the ground where it is buried, it rises and brings forth much fruit with new life. Jesus wants us to get on to his wavelength. And he will bring situations into our lives that show us there's a heart problem here. It's true. You're doing all the religious things, but you've not dealt with the heart issue. I love these words of John Wimber. God sometimes offends our minds that he might show us what is in our hearts. So Jesus allows us to become offended because he wants to show us that we carry resentment in our hearts, rebellion, and independence. That person offended me, and I'll stand on that offense until the day I die. My heart breaks because you're missing out. You've closed your heart to all that God wants to pour into you by clinging to that bitterness. Jesus is our example, is he not? Was there anyone that was more maligned than Jesus? And the most unworthy person of ever, ever being misaligned. Um, because he was God. He was perfect. He was loving. He was compassionate. He was gracious. He was, he was all love. But yet, they called him a glutton. They called him a wine-bibber. They even called him an illegitimate child. You're a blasphemer, they said. You're a madman. They even one day called him Beelzebub. You're the devil. And in the face of all of that, Jesus never once retaliated. Who had more right to retaliate? Who had more right to say, let me call down fire right now and consume you. Who do you think you are? I'm the Son of God. Peter tells us how Jesus responded. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. But he continued. Here's the secret. How did Jesus deal with it? We turn within. We cry in our soup. We pity ourselves. We have our own little party. And then we get on the phone and, did you know what so-and-so said to me? And did you know how they treated you? Oh, you poor thing. Jesus was able to endure all of that because he knew he had a heavenly father that was taking notice and he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Hallelujah. All the injustices that have ever come against you in your life, one day they will be righted yes. if you refuse to take it into your own hands. Don't take it into your own hands because God says, okay, you're taking care of it. I don't need to take care of it. Jesus always turned the other cheek. He never sought for retribution. Every offense that came against him, he entrusted to his father. There are a couple of great axioms to live by. 
Show respect to people who don't even deserve it. Now, doesn't that go against the grain? I mean, honestly. It goes against the grain, but we belong to a different kingdom. I'm preaching to myself. If any of you could receive what I'm saying this morning, know that I'm preaching to myself. I'm not preaching at you. I'm preaching to myself. And if you're hearing this conversation that's going on in my own heart, receive it. Show respect to people who don't even deserve it. Not as a reflection of their character, but as a reflection of yours. Because you have the character of Christ. You have the mind of Christ. We are lights in a dark world. We're a fragrance of life where there's death all around us. We're the salt of the earth. Let's, let's savor the earth with our saltiness. You can't change how people treat you or what they say about you. All you can do is change how you react to them. So people get into a tizzy when they're around people that annoy them. And for days on end, they keep talking about how annoyed they were by that person. God's not asking you to change them. Pray for them. But God's saying, when are you going to change your reaction? What does the scripture say? Bless them that curse you. Spuler, you've got a lot to learn. I've got a long ways to go, but I'm asking Jesus to help me to change my DNA. I need my DNA changed. Jesus' second illustration is in verse 40. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. Once again, Jesus is going to set the record straight and correct the perversion of the text, believing that when you get wronged, it's time to get even. No, 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 no. It's not time to get even. But he says, now give up your rights of ownership of the things that you possess. And there again, we claim. This is mine. How dare you? Do we understand that we really own nothing? We are stewards of all that he has given to us. I don't want to get to preaching on timing this morning. But Jesus gives you the ability and the favor to earn that paycheck. And all he's asking is that you bring to him 10%, the first 10%. And then he said, I'm going to open the windows of heaven and I'm going to just pour out a blessing that you'll never be able to contain. And all of us who tithe know that God is true to his word. Amen. God is no man's debtor. And he just wants us to know today that he's entrusted that money to us. How are we going to use it? Well, God, I'll give you your share when I pay all my bills, when I take care of all of this, when I take care of all of that. And guess what? The day never comes because you never have enough. But when you put God first, he has a way of multiplying. And he takes that 90%, and he not only makes it 100% again, he makes it more than that. Sometimes it's shaken down, running over. It's a blessing beyond anything you can even contain. Sorry, every once in a while when pastors have an opportunity to preach about tithing, they take advantage of that, so forgive me for that. But getting back to what Jesus said in verse 40, 
We understand in the Mosaic Law in Exodus 22, if you were being sued for your clothing, they were allowed by law to take your tunic. That was your outer, your, your undergarment, so to speak. So it could have been a shirt or a dress or whatever, but they were not allowed to take your cloak because that was what was on the outside of you. That's what protected you from the cold. And so the law protected you that your cloak could never by law legally be taken from you. And now Jesus comes along and says, okay, you're being sued. You want my shirt? Here's my coat also. Again, this is not to be taken literally. Jesus isn't suggesting if someone sues you for money that you just, oh, you want that money? Here's my house too. Uh, that's just foolishness. And that's not what Jesus is after here. What Jesus is after here is that we protect our hearts and the way we protect our hearts is to allow him to reveal to us what is that stinginess or greediness in us that wants to keep everything for ourselves, that makes us miserable because we're up at night and we're having sleepless nights, worrying about the stock market, worrying about am I going to have enough to live on, worrying about how am I... When God says if someone really is in need, and we shut up our hearts, how can we say the love of God abides in us? Because the rule of the law of the kingdom is to give to those who ask. Now obviously we need to use wisdom, we need to be led by the Spirit, but to shut ourselves off completely is certainly against the word of God. Thirdly, in verse 42, Jesus teaches us that we have no rights either to our time. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him two. You know, time is a precious commodity. And when your day is interrupted with another demand that someone is making on you, you can easily get resentful about that. And in Jesus' day, we understand and we know that Israel was under Roman occupation and by law of the Roman Empire, any soldier could go up to any Jew and say, uh, hey, here's my backpack. By law, you're required to carry it one mile. And can you imagine all the resentment that the Jewish people had every time that happened to them? They were certainly familiar with these laws. And for Jesus now to say, go with him two miles. I mean, are you kidding me? How dare they infringe on my schedule on what I have planned and asking me to take on their burden for a mile? Do you want to live in the kingdom? Do you want to be a kingdom disciple? Be willing to make the sacrifices that will bless others and advance the kingdom and bring glory to God, showing this is the heart of Jesus. He's willing to be inconvenienced. He's willing to love. He's giving more than required of him. And we're to be his reflection. Fourthly and finally, give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. And here Jesus is talking, obviously, about our money. No right. Again, we're stewards. We don't have a right to own our money. 
It's been entrusted to us. And one day we will all give an account when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Did you know we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ? Thank God we're not going to stand before the great white throne judgment because that's where God is going to say to all of those who rejected him, depart from me, I never knew you. Oh, but I went to church on Sunday. Depart from me, I never knew you. But at the judgment seat of Christ, we will give an account of how we spent our time, how we spent our money, how we lived our lives. It's a sobering, sobering thought. May God help us to live our lives in wisdom and to be generous with what he has given to us and that when we give, we give with cheerful hearts. I so appreciate it. I, I think it was Dave Canty a few weeks ago when he took the offering. God's not looking for you to grudgingly give him. He's looking for us to have cheerful heart. God, you've given me so much. What you're asking me to give is just a pittance and I do it with joy. I do it with thanksgiving. I do it with gratitude in my heart. And then considering the needs of others, uh, Paul says in Galatians 6 and verse 10, As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially to those that are the household of faith. When we see a need, we respond to that need. So what's the challenge to our hearts this morning? Here's the summary of it. We have no right to retaliate when offense comes against us. We have no right to claim ownership of anything that we have. We're required by God to forfeit our right to our time, to our money. You hear those things, they're all counterintuitive. They don't make sense to this rational mind. But when you have the mind of Christ, and you want to live the life that Christ lived, then they begin to make sense. There's so much that Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount. So buckle up, church, because as we get into the sermon, we're going to hear things Jesus tell us that are going to be like a surgeon's knife that cuts into our hearts and reveals to us that there's a malignancy there that he wants to take out so that we can become more like him. We don't have rights. We need to forfeit them in our flesh. We want to settle the score in our flesh. We want to make sure no one ever takes advantage of us. No one ever thinks they can make a doormat of us. No one ever thinks they can get away with what they are doing. And so we'll go to great lengths to protect ourselves. We'll go to great lengths to exact vengeance on someone who has wronged us. But then Jesus comes to us and his spirit says, I want you to be better than that. You're my son. You're my daughter. I want you to turn the other cheek. I want you to give what you're not required to give. I want you to go the extra mile. I don't want you to cling so tenaciously to your money that you can never give any of it away. Because when you do this, I will guard your heart. You will walk before me with a pure heart. You will walk before me without any cause or reason for me to judge you because you've hidden away something and you've buried it so deep in your heart that you're missing out on all the blessings.
that I want to bring. In the process of honoring me, you'll protect your heart and you'll ensure to live a life of blessing, of fullness, of grace, of joy, of peace. You know, honestly, Christian friends, sometimes we're miserable and we don't understand we're miserable because at the heart of every problem, there's a problem with the heart. Will we allow God to examine our hearts today? I'm not examining anyone's heart. I'm examining my heart today. You know, I, I know some people in this church. I, I've been your pastor. Now I'm in my 13th year. It's not my job to judge your heart. It's my job to judge my heart. What did David say? Search me, O God, and know my heart. See if there be a wicked way in me and cleanse me from all unrighteousness and from wickedness that I might walk before the Lord with a heart that is pleasing unto him. Amen. Let's bow our heads So we ask you, Holy Spirit, today to search us, to know us,